to become dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right. Well, thank you, Joseph. Appreciate you. And uh, man, we have a lot of reason to celebrate uh, Layla's profession of faith, uh, our incredible students leading us today. Uh, what just a great season uh, this is in the life of our church. And uh, some of you uh, have been here a lot longer than I have, five and a half years I've been here. Uh, but you've been praying, giving, investing, serving uh, to see God do what he's doing in the life of our church. And isn't it just good to see his faithfulness uh, and how uh, he's just been good to this church family who is just one small part of the work that he is doing uh, in building his kingdom. So uh, normally on Student Sunday, uh, our student minister, Alec, would uh, preach and present, recognize all our graduates, but uh, he and his wife uh, are having a baby like any minute right now. Um, so uh, I agreed, I guess you don't have to preach today, that's fine. So uh, I, I get the opportunity uh, to share today, and we actually have been in this, uh, or started this series last week out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22, which is the text that Joseph just read. It's a series we're calling One. And really, this text shows us our identity together uh, in Christ. And so last week, we kind of expounded upon the text. But today, uh, I really want to take it and almost put a bullseye, if you will, uh, on our, our graduating seniors. And kind of outside of that is all of our students. And then I still think there's things uh, that are uh, uh, relevant to all of us in light of what I'm talking about today. And, and it's so important because... The estimated 3.7 million high school graduates are being bombarded with a message as they enter into independence of individualism. This is flowing out of philosophers like Nietzsche who believe that self-creation is the goal of our lives and that we should be whoever and do whatever works for us. And as Carl Truman puts it, institutions like marriage and religion are viewed as no longer relevant because they put restraints on our pursuit of self. It is now self, self-actualization, self-realization, self-fulfillment, self-creation that has become the lens through which we view our life as opposed to God or something bigger than us. This mindset isn't just flowing from liberal institutions and liberal states. It's spreading everywhere, and it's infiltrating the church. We're drawing any lines, challenging any of these mindsets, and clinging to anything that appears to be of old is becoming not only unpopular, but it's becoming unacceptable. And there's such urgency in understanding what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2 and how we ought to live our lives. Because if we don't listen to what God says, we will waste our life. Perhaps even as believers who are saved by grace, we will spend much of our life wasted because we have been pursuing self instead of pursuing God. And we will misguide and ignore the great perils of people around us because we are buying into a lie that our culture is selling us. And so I want to glance at our text with all of this in mind and hopefully inspire and challenge our students, especially those who are graduating. And I want to talk about how this burden that young people are facing is a burden that all of us who are believers should carry with them according to the scripture. 
So I'm gonna pray, and then I just wanna say three things to our students that if I were sitting down with you, and, and this is what I do often in my job, sounds kind of great, is I sit down in a coffee shop, and I talk to people, uh, and I talk to them about what's going on in their life. Sometimes it's just catching up with people, and I just really hope that these are the things that if I were sitting down across the table from you 10 or 20 years from now, you can say we're true in your life. So let me pray. God, may your spirit speak through me. God, may I decrease, may you increase. God, in your supernatural way, may you just capture the attention of all of us in this room who are watching online. And God, maybe today might be a catalyst for a life completely consumed by your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So here's the first thing that I hope you could say in 20 years if you were sitting down across the table from me. That a theme throughout that 20 years and today is that you're grounded in the hope of Christ. Grounded in the hope of Christ. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 through 12, Paul says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now again, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week where I expound upon these verses, but the, the theme here, kind of the big idea here is this lack of hope we have before Christ. And then this hope that we have in Christ, but pay attention. Hope in the wrong things brings you back to no hope. If you place your hope in possessions, that's ultimately hopeless because you were created to see God as your treasure. In fact, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. You can't have two masters. You have to choose one and hate the other. And so, we are not created to put our place, our hope in the things that we might accumulate. Image, a thing we are being bombarded with, especially when we're young, is this image that we ought to maintain or that we ought to adopt. When we are created in the image of God, when our security, identity, our worth is, is tied to understanding that we are created in the very image of God, the first fruits of all his creatures, James tells us in his word, or acceptance. Acceptance is something that we ought not to live for and place our hope in apart from God because we were created for God. And if we are journeying in this life and just trying to find acceptance from a group of people, then we will find ourselves ultimately without, without hope. I really believe that this is what is at the root of the LGBTQ plus movement, that we are looking for a group to belong to, to be accepted by. And then we read the Bible, and the Bible tells us that God doesn't want us to find our acceptance in things apart from his desire for our life. And then we tend to view God in the negative because of that, that God is for against our good. And the Bible does tell us that God is jealous for us. And again, I think we tend to think of that as a negative thing, but I want you to understand something. If you are married and your spouse has affection for another person, it is good that you are jealous. God loves you. God created you. God knows you more intimately than anyone else. And when you trust in someone else or something for worth and identity and security, he is jealous for you. 
because he cares so much for you and it is good that he is jealous for you. So our hope should be set on Christ because that really is our only hope. If you're not there yet, I'd be happy to sit down with you and talk about this. But if you are there, if you are a Christian, understand that the struggle of your life is going to be things that cause you to place your hope elsewhere. And if you cling to whatever hope you have in Christ, it will grow in you. He will prove himself. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verse 12 through 15, excuse me, 16, I read this last week, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Notice right there, Paul says, I'm trying to own this because I belong to Christ. It's not, I wanna own this and then I might belong to Christ. It's that I belong to God. So my living this way is a response to him. Look at what he says in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the, upward, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I think about our young people in this passage, and it says, hey, because of what God has done in my life, because God says I'm his, I now live this way, not looking back to the things that I once have hoped in, but to live for Christ. As Paul would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the aim of my life. This is the goal of my life. Understand this. Graduating college is not the goal of your life. A successful career is not the goal of your life. Having a great family is not the goal of your life. These are the means through which the goal is expressed. This is radically different, mind-changing, God growing in your understand, excuse me, God growing your understanding of him way of thinking. When we understand that all these roles that we fill in our life are ultimately in submission to the greatest role that we fulfill as a child of God. And so anything we do, any title we might have is to be lived for the glory of God. And when we place our trust in Christ, we are saying there is no hope in this life. That's what young Layla was just declaring before us today. She's buried. She's dying to herself. She's dying for the hope that she might place in the things she could bring herself. And she is raised to life in Christ Jesus. And so these things that we place our hope in, they're to be seen as hopeless for us. And if you're there, it's grace that you see that these things really are hopeless. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse 13 and 14, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I, I love what Paul says there. He says, we were far off, now we're near because of the blood of Jesus, so he's our peace. He is our peace. This is the hope of the Christian, the presence of God in our life, nothing else. 
Our, our students really just preached my sermon through song for me. If you guys can put up the chorus to that song they just sang just a moment ago, we sang, I want the healer more than the healing. I want your heart, not just a feeling, more than a blessing. I want your presence more than this world. I long for heaven. That our, our prayer and our desire is not to be healed, but it's to be with the healer. That our, our hope and our longing is God's presence, not what God can do for us. And, and, and I'm just telling you that that should be your aim. Not the things that God might give you in this world, but God himself. And I want God and he can give me what he wants to give me as long as I'm with him. And I would just say to our older crowd, which is like every one of us just about, because these students are pretty young, I think we complicate this with the complexities of life, but we end up in that same place where we, and I love you, we're praying in our prayer times in our life groups for healing and not for the healer. And we're praying for feelings and not for him. How come we're not in life groups saying, God, we just want you to move. How come we're not praying when we're asking God for our wish list? God, my greatest wish list is that the sin in my heart would stop. The selfish pursuit in my life would stop and you would make me more like you. That should be what we're longing for. That should be what we desire. That should be what we plan for. And we let that transcend every role of our life. And when we begin to think this way and we go to Christ, it gives us great hope no matter what it is we're going through. And it is the lens through which we should view everything that we're going through. And we will have questions. And some of those questions we won't have the answers for. But as Tim Keller, who just passed away on Friday, says, when we look to the cross, it may not give us all the answers of why. But what it shows us is what the answer is not. The answer is not that God is up in heaven watching us endure, telling us endure it, it's worth it. But in the cross, we see that God endured suffering because what he has in store for us is worth it. May you be grounded in that great truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in his hope. Number two, that was my longest point, just so you know. Number two, I have three. I, I hope that when we sit down from each other in 20 years, you could say that over the last 20 years, you've been seeing through the mercy of Christ. The way of our world is to see people for what they do and judge them. Or, counter to that, to offer up cheap grace. It's to go out into the world and see people different than you, that look different than you, that think different than you, that sin different than you, and to think you're better than them. As a religious person, to think, God, I am glad I'm not like them. Or to say, let everybody do their thing. Who am I to infringe upon anybody's freedom to do what they want? And I would just say that if we are not 
placing our eyes on the mercy of Christ for people and for us, then it will lead to division. And we see this. And as a Christian, now let me just say this. If you are not prepared for debate about differences of how to view even the Bible, then you're not prepared. But as a Christian, understand that being prepared for these debates is not just about knowing what is right. It is about conducting yourself in a way that is right. Because being a Christian is not just about what you argue, it is about how you argue. And we as Christians ought to be different than the world in the way that we argue even serious things. We ought to honor Christ not just in thought, but in deed and in action and in our posture towards people. Social media has amplified our villainization of people and our willingness to see people not as a person created by God. But look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse 15 through 18, about the Jews and the Gentiles who have great division amongst each other. He says this, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This tells us, this text tells us that Jesus is our peace. He did this through the cross. So we need to have that in view as we view any person that we see. And I think this is relevant in two ways. One, in how we deal with people who have not placed their faith in Christ. I've shared this story before, but um, some time ago, my wife sent me to the store to make returns, um, which she loves to do. Oh, you're going out here. I have these things to return. And um, I was at a store, actually Old Navy returning things, and um, this little kid was acting unbelievably out of control and uh, running all over the place and frantic. And this lady is like, oh my goodness, some people and their kids. And I was kind of thinking the same thing. I didn't think that was funny, but thanks for laughing at my sin. (laughs) And then one of the employees walked over to the little girl and she said, hey, what's wrong? And the little girl said, I can't find my parents. And it hit me. The reason she was acting the way she was acting was because she was lost. Guys, People all around us don't know where their heavenly father is, even though he's not far away. And the reason they act the way they act is they do not have the security, the confidence, and the hope that comes from knowing him. Our aim is not to get them to behave. Our aim is to get them to see that they were created in the image of God. We ought to view people in that way. And then one another Listen, the reason we approach the throne of grace is by the mercy of God. I love in the instructions to build the tabernacle, there's the mercy seat, right? That's where the high priest sits. The day of atonement, he offers up the sacrifice for Israel where God's presence is said to be. And constructed on the sides of the mercy seat are these cherubim, these great 
angelic, magical beings. Not magical, but you know, you get it. And God instructs them to have their build built with their eyes looking down towards the mercy seat. What if we, instead of viewing each other eye to eye, viewed each other through the mercy of God, to the cross of Jesus Christ? I hope, young people, and in some ways, my generation ought to repent of how we've not been this way, that you would see through the mercy of Christ. Number three, I pray that when we sit down with each other 20 years from now, you could say that you have been joined with the church of Christ. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. One of the great errors of individualism in the church and in the lives of professing Christians is the very lack of devotion to the local church. I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor and I want our church to grow. In fact, I hope that this year we'll be sending people out of our church to help plant another church. I, I intentionally, throughout the course of our church growing, want to continue to decrease the size of our church some so that the kingdom of God would grow. I'm not saying this because I have some ambition to get you here to hear me every week. You can hear me online. I'm a YouTuber now. My kids don't think that's cool, but it's true. I'm saying this because God has designed us to be connected to the local church. God has connect, designed us to be living out the one another's together. And some of you parents, I love you, but you just see church as another way to make your children well-rounded and you don't see it as a part of our identity as believers here on this earth. And some of your parents haven't prioritized being connected to the local church like they should. And some people are, think I'm against children having fun because I say that. No, but you have to be tethered to the church. I'm not getting to the legalistic debate of how often you have to be here, but I'll just say this. If your first allegiance is to your child's activity over the local church, you have something else serving functionally as the Lord here. This is a part of what God has designed for you. It is Jesus's plan A for your life and it is how you experience the fulfillment of what he's called you to do in this life. And church is the organization that you will be a part of for all of eternity. Give your life to that and see him work. So graduates, students, how great it would be to hear you say in 20 years that you have been grounded in the hope of Christ, that you have been seeing people through the mercy of Christ, and that you have been joined with the church of Christ and you see the glory of Christ in your life. And parents, we must first be an example of these things. We must be grounded in the hope of Christ. We must see through the mercy of Christ. We must be joined with the church of Christ. And model this, don't expect our children, as Paul Purvis says, to, mar to prioritize what we have marginalized. And then I would also say that we need to understand we're an encouragement to our children to live out the call of God on their life in whatever role they fill. I heard a pastor say one time that as a parent, you're a king, a prophet, and then a priest. When they're little, you're the king. When they're a teenager, you're a prophet. You say, this is what's gonna happen when you do that. And when they're an adult, you're a priest. 
I don't mean any of those theologically, but I mean you serve as someone who they can talk to and confess to. And lastly, parents, pray for your children to press on toward the goal of glorifying Christ. Watch how that changes you and what you do and watch what that does in their life. And then church, listen, this world is changing. It will continue to change, but this is not. Be so grounded and rooted in this that it is flowing out of us and so that we are able to speak intentionally the word of God in the lives of other generations who we place ourselves around. Be intentional about that. If this all matters, if eternity is real, then the life that we live is to be lived so that others might press on to the goal of glorifying Christ as we do. I invite our worship team to come now, and we're gonna move into a time of response. And I just, I just wanna pray more just over our, our young people who are already in college, who are heading into that season of life, our students who um, are here, and I wanna pray for our parents, and I wanna pray for us as a church. So if you would just join me in praying now. God, it is by your mercy that we are here. It's a gift that you created us, and you have created us to see you as our treasure, to see that we are created in your image, and God, that we are your child, and we are to be with you and find our hope and love in you for all of eternity. And God, all of us have, have placed hope in things that ultimately lead us to be hopeless. And when Christ came and was on the cross, he took on the judgment that our selfishness deserves. And he died for us because being with us for eternity is worth that. And if God did not spare his own son, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? There's our hope. It is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God, then everything we live is to be lived in light of that death and the resurrection of Christ and his ascension to the throne and to see his rule and his reign and his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So help us to live the places you put us the roles you give us for your glory. Help our students to not be distracted by the ways of this world, but to not waste their life and live radically for the glory of Jesus Christ. And God, help us as parents and help us as a church to be incredibly devoted to that so that it becomes contagious and so that we're able to help. So God, be exalted through our time and singing this morning, and let that be a small glimpse of how we will exalt you in our response to you and your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.